The following program is paid for by Rudy Wealth Management. Good morning, and welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money. You're invited to be part of today's show. Call 356-9397. Opinions and views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. And now, Paul Rudy's On the Money. Well, welcome, everybody, to Paul Rudy's On the Money radio show. I'm here with my regular guests. My headphones up here. Dr. Fred Gertz. Dr. Fred, good to see you. Yeah, good to be back. We're live in the studio and back live. It's Ryan Repco, certified financial planner professional with Rudy Wealth Management as well. Ryan, are you glad I'm back from Minnesota? I'm glad you're back. I'm glad I'm back. <laughs> I haven't been on in quite a while. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. I did spend a nice about 10 days up in Minnesota, in Minnesota and uh, really enjoyed that. I had great weather. Kind of like it was kind of like today for most of the days when it was really hot down here, I guess. I'm not bragging about that. I feel bad that it was hot down here, but it was really delightful up there. You can call in with your questions at 217-356-9397 or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line at 351-5357. You can also email your questions to talk at wdws.com. It's important to recognize that past performance is not an indication of future results. You should not make any investment decisions without first consulting your own financial advisor and conducting your own research and due diligence. Well, morning, guys. A lot going on uh, since our last show, Fred. Um, looks like we're going to spend at least another trillion dollars. Right. Uh, uh, f- I guess they call it stimulus slash rescue or bailout, or I'm not sure what it's best classified at. But they're talking about uh, changing unemployment. That's one of the things, at least the Republican side is saying, look, no more of this $600 a week. Mm-hmm. I guess the view is, and I don't know if, if what your, you know, how your, your take on that is, it is clearly that I think they said something like 40 or 50% of the people that were on unemployment were making more money. I read that somewhere yesterday and just preparing for the show and I can't give you this citing, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Just one of those things I read. Yeah. And, you know, um, Brian Barnhart mentioned it on his show this morning. His daughter is unemployed and said, Dad, I've, I've never made so much money. Right. There is an economic, from an economic standpoint, there is a danger in that, is there not? Right. If we were easy, uh, we could do it all the time. Why not uh, give $600 a week to everyone forever? And the answer is that uh, we simply can't do that with the resources we have without uh, damaging the economy. So the question is when to, uh, when to start uh, weaning people off the $600. Again, uh, uh, obviously, uh, lots of people are in distress, and it does help. But on the other hand, we need to have incentives for people to uh, try to go back to work. So this is a difficult decision, but I think at, at some point it has to be reduced or phased out. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to get on my uh, board here so I can see if anybody's calling in, et cetera. I think, Adam, I think I have it sort of right, if you want to come in and uh, <laughs> put the right screen on for me. I do have the text questions, but not uh, the call yeah. board. Uh, it looks like kind of the idea, Fred, is kind of by October, the 70% replacement would uh, take, you know, they'd allow up to 70%, maximum $500 a week benefit. Right. That, that seems, I don't know why that seems reasonable to me. Uh, yeah. you, you know, well, I, uh, I think that it, there's but. kind of a behavioral thing where whatever you've done establishes the bar and anything below that is taking th- things away from people, which really isn't the case. The $600 has only been there for a, a few months. But again, I, I think we we have to get used to living in kind of a twilight world here where 
uh, it's clear that the, uh, uh, the crisis is not going to go away quickly, but yet we're learning to live with it, and I think we're learning to accept uh, higher rates of infection, things of that sort that we weren't originally. So I think we're going to be in a world where uh, nothing is is perfect and nothing is settled for a long time, and uh, we just have to learn to live with it. I, I was reading an article uh, from Michael Strain, who's the Director of Economic Policy Studies at the Arthur F. Burns Scholar in Political Economy, but he was talking about it, you know, he said, look, politicians get this right, but I thought this was kind of, I thought this was useful. He said, uh, the point of another round of spending should be clear, alleviate human misery by strengthening the safety net for low-income and vulnerable households, preserve the productive capacity of the economy so that you so that the U.S. is situated to get back as normal as fast as possible once a vaccine arrives. And that's kind of what you're just saying. Well, but it's, again, it's easy to say it's hard to do, uh, and especially hard to do because of the politics involved. Yeah, there's no playbook, and if there was a playbook, then you have two opposing teams right. that you know are just trying to. Well, I think the whole, whole thing is that people are speaking without uh, knowing the dynamics of the thing. And the problem is no, no, no one really understands, or few people really understand the uh, – course of the uh, the virus so so you have different claims that being made that uh uh we need to go into lockdown we need yeah. to uh, uh ease up and the fact is no one really knows the answer it seems to be some uh, a high level of sensationalism about it even yeah. the cdc and some of the others have said look the media is way out of control here that those weren't their words mm-hmm. but they're just they're magnifying the actual impact i told you guys this morning i always i keep tra- uh, track of daily u.s deaths uh both in the u.s and then in certain states and and really um if you look at that chart um it's still well below you know the peak yeah it's upticked some and that should be so of of a concern but you would swear we were back or higher than where we were a couple of months ago and if you just look at the chart and then i took the data and did a seven day 14 and 20 day moving average they're trying to just smooth out the trend and it's still well, you know, probably 60% lower than it was at its peak, but it has turned up a bit. Right. Uh, and the other thing, I think, is the uh, number of cases. Uh, part of the increase is uh, the, the uh, testing is much more uh, widespread than it used to be. So uh, deaths are, are one thing that don't really uh, – a death is a death. So right. uh, you don't have to worry about how many people are tested or whatever. And, again, uh, it's not going away, but I think we've learned to live with uh, things that probably would have been unacceptable uh, six months ago. I, I told my wife, I said, if someone would have told me six months ago, I would be wearing a mask most of the time when I go out. If I go into any stores, I always wear it. You know, I figured, I think, I was, you know, I, I, I think it's unsettled, and that's okay. So I don't yeah. take a strong position either way. I look at it more as a social contract, kind of right. like, you know what? You don't be a jerk, even if you don't feel, and, and that's not what I'm saying. It's not that I don't feel like there's some benefit. I'm just saying even if someone didn't think there was a benefit, there's a bit of a social uh, contract. Oh, all right, Ed, I'll start monitoring that now. <laughs> um, so, Fred, I'm going to direct this to you because it starts out with SIRS. is rolling out a new option for the self-managed participants called a lifetime income strategy. This will allow you to move funds into a guaranteed income for the last 15 years before retirement. During that 15 years of time frame, you pay for the cost of the insurance to create a lifetime income stream. You also have an option to invest in the core funds yourself at retirement. Move the account balance into a lifetime income strategy account. Question, which one is more expensive, paying the insurance cost over the 15 years prior to retirement or paying the insurance cost at retirement? I don't uh, know. 
I don't know either. It's a, it's a complicated uh, choice, and there's uh, various people, the, the SERS plus the uh, providers actually uh, assist people. So I don't I, – I, I can't give an answer. Even if I right. could, I'd be very careful about it. Sure. The, the point is there's a, a major change underway for the uh, – not, not for most people. So most people are probably uh, kind of shocked by this. But for people receiving the Defined Benefit Plan Act at all, it's only for the defined contribution uh, people in SERS, which is called the self-managed plan. That's been around for a long time. But it was uh, fairly restrictive, and people were now in a situation where they were forced to – annuitize their um, their uh, accumulations to get the health care benefits and the annuitization rate is so low now that it's very very punitive so right. the attempt is to uh, give people an option that uh, will allow them to claim their uh, their health care benefits and at the same time annuitize but annuitize under more favorable kinds of uh, of uh, arrangements uh, but again people still have the option of uh, sticking with a a defined contribution and not doing any of this at all, just investing their money in various funds and taking it out when they when they choose to. So it, it's a very, very complicated um, situation. Uh, there's a substantial apparatus to advise people, so I'd suggest they go there. The other problem which has uh, cropped up is there's a lockout period when you make the change from the existing uh, to the uh, to the new situation, and g- given the you know, a thousand dollar, a thousand point, two thousand point swings in the uh, indexes. Now that lockout could be either good or bad for you. you so you're saying the lockout meaning you have to kind of like, hey, your investments essentially go to cash, so yeah. to speak, or maybe literally to cash. Yeah. And so, if the market goes up a thousand or two thousand or ten percent during that lockout time, maybe that's exaggerated, but not. We've seen it. Yeah. Uh, or it goes down. It might be good for you. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, so the, it's the, another risk. Yeah, the also, answer that. Uh, you can give, which isn't very satisfying, is that uh, you're taking that chance all the time anyway, and, and you're, the, the downside basically offsets the upside. But again, uh, people are, are concerned about the uh, being locked out when we have a huge increase in the uh, in the market. And uh, so, I would be interested if one or two or three people want to send me if the information's available yet. Like, here are my options. That's a specialty of mine. That's just something I'm intrigued by, um, that I do a lot of simulation work and have done that to try to just let people make a more uh, informed decision of what those true costs are. And and everything always comes down to compared to what? Compared to the alternative, at what cost? uh, What are the different risks? Uh, That's something I like to do. It's going to be a challenge (laughs) because it's a a complicated thing because uh, when you approach retirement, you're basically – buying a kind of insurance where you're guaranteed a, a flow and the insurance costs nothing. So, so it's a, it's not a free kind of lunch, applied, yeah, okay. yeah, but, but it's a, I think it's a good deal for many people. So again, it, there are lots of aspects and that was one of the challenges the the uh, move to <clears throat> this new um, arrangement, I think is a, a, a clearly superior uh, situation. Uh, the old options pretty much plus some new options, but yet they're, uh, you know, choice is not always easy and involves making some choices. Do you have a sense of what percentage of people in the plan uh, would be self-managed versus the more Probably traditional? Like 5%, something like that. Okay, uh, so this might be one out of 20 people yeah. that have the self, roughly, right, right. Uh, out of this plan. So it really, you know, it does, it does but when you're in the group, it's a big right. deal and it's a big decision to make. It's, it's really right up there with uh, people that have to decide whether they take a, it's not the exact same yeah. thing, but it's the same type of work 
that we think and do a lot of work in is saying, should I take this pension or that they're offering me or do I take the lump sum? And we're always, you're just trading one risk for another. Right. It's just trying to understand the different trade-offs. Right. Well, there is a, I mean, if you're, you're not concerned about the uh, new options, you can pretty much replicate your current portfolio and just let it ride after the lockout period. But th- there's this additional option, which actually can be a benefit that sure. you will probably look into. Um, this Michael Strain kind of getting back to, we were talking about um, the, the stimulus bill. That's what everybody seems to be calling it. Um, he goes on to say, additional support for small businesses won't completely prevent bankruptcies, but it will reduce their number. This would avoid wasteful liquidations in which valuable relationships, networks, and knowledge of local conditions and preferences, preferences would be lost. It would help the economy bounce back faster once the vaccine is distributed. I hadn't really thought about it that way. You probably think about it that well, way instantly. Well, it's one of these things where there's the positive side and the negative side. The positive side is you maintain some... Uh, Businesses are basically solvent but uh, have liquidity issues. On the other hand, you're, you're propping up some uh, firms that probably are zombies that right. aren't destined to be uh, successful in the long run. So what you'd like to do is to make the transition where you support the, the uh, 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 inherently strong businesses and, and let the uh, ones that are weak uh, kind of fade away. But that's a very difficult kind right. of uh, decision. To, uh, you know, outsider doesn't know which firm is which, and, right. and the government doesn't know which firm is which. And then you would just be in the in the mode of selecting the winners and losers, right. and you're going to be wrong on right. some of them. And but at some point, it's clear that uh, things have to change, that uh, it's not likely that the uh, airlines are going to bounce back to the, uh, you know, year-ago level anytime soon, so they have to make some painful uh, decisions. Uh, Parkland College is in the process of, of making some painful decisions, so... Again, putting off those decisions uh, in the short run may, may have some advantages, but eventually you have to address them. You know, I think they talk about somewhere in there about, you know, I don't want to call it bailing out, but offering great grants and to states and localities. And, and, and this is the final on Mark, uh, Michael Strain. It says, Congress uh, can keep the unemployment rate lower than it otherwise would be, helping the economy and the workers avoid the problems that come from lengthy spells of unemployment. I don't know if all this stuff's worth it or not. I mean, they are talking about, uh, in that plan, another $1,200 to $2,400 <coughs> $1, uh, you know, stimulus check that just right. goes directly to individuals, just like the last one in 2400 <clears throat> And the same phase-outs, average of $75,000 of income per person and individuals or couples making an average of 99000 or more would not receive one. Uh, and an additional, I don't know, was additional 500 per child was that in the last plan it was it was so they're doing that i see they're also uh they would shield entities such as businesses doctors and schools from lawsuits except for cases of gross negligence and willful misconduct so there's been a lot of call for that schools or places are afraid to open because they're going to get sued um i thought this was they're going to add another 190 billion for the paycheck protection program uh, they are changing that, and this seems to be a little more, yeah. uh, it's going through a little more of a, a, a filter. A lot of small businesses, fewer than 300 employees who've seen revenues fall by more than 50% apply for a second round of aid. And a couple final things, $105 billion to help schools reopen in the fall. Roughly 30, roughly 30 billion of that would go to colleges. Most of the money would go to schools that physically reopen. Uh, and the one thing I noticed, I don't know how you feel about this one way or another, it's not a big deal, but 
includes 100% deductibility of business meals. I think right now it's 50%. (laughs) Right. I guess that's probably an attempt to help out the restaurant industry, I'm I'm assuming. Yeah, with with the travel and business being closed is probably really devastating. So, you know, we're going to throw, it sounds like at least another trillion at this. That's what the Republicans want, the the Democrat House uh, has closer to $3 trillion spend in their bill. So I think it's safe to say it's probably going to be at least a trillion. Right, especially uh, given the 100 days till the election. Yeah. It's not, uh, no Brian way. Westbury, um, who's really a great, I think, economic thinker. I, I don't know. I just track with him really well. He writes, the economy will pay a price for the recent higher government spending for that price. May, and that price may be eventual return to the plow horse growth. See, plow horse. Yeah. I had to get it in. Well, it would be growth ha- of 2009 yeah. to 16. But we'd be, ha- we'd we'd be, be happy to have it now. Yeah. Yeah. He's, well, yeah, the plow horse, though, is a problem if we, we start uh, 5 or 10% down after and then slow, slowly uh, recover. That's not a, a good thing. So it's the, the old question of V-shaped or U-shaped or whatever uh, uh, recovery from the, from the downturn. Oh, Westbury wrote in his most recent piece, uh, get, he, looks, he thinks we'll have a minus 35% annualized real GDP uh, for the second quarter. But he wrote, we've already seen the worst of this crisis. The U.S. economy will take years to get back to where it was before COVID-19, but a recovery has already started. And I guess, I mean, that's the point. Right. And when you really think about all this, guys, uh, you have a stock market that's not, well, some areas, but the broad U.S. market, let's call it that, is uh, getting closer and closer to its where it began the year, uh, closer and closer to an all-time high. Uh, Chinese stocks, I, I looked this morning, um, they're kind of in the same condition, you know, and really what goes well for China and from a stock market standpoint kind of pretends well, at least loosely, I think, for the U.S. Um, You know, if somebody would have told you guys that six months ago, for instance, that, oh, we're going to have a pandemic, you know, 145,000 people will die in a few months, we're going to lock down the economy, GDP growth will decline by... 35% 35% annually, and we don't know what that number is going to be, but there's, it wouldn't be, a, I don't think people would be shocked. And yet the stock market and most people's retirement plans would be right on track. I mean, yeah. Would you ever thought that? No. Uh, well, I, uh, if you'd said the same thing on uh, March 1st, it'd be even more difficult to believe that because I, I, I still find it uh, inexplicable. And actually, yeah. well, from my standpoint, about why the why the market's so high. Obviously, there are uh, low interest rates and uh, yeah. a bunch of things like that. But like we, we Tina, talk, there is no alternative. Yeah, and we talked about uh, this last time that uh, the market, uh, the the uh, indexes reflect what people believe. But there's a kind of balance between uh, a, a large downturn risk and also uptime upside potential with the uh, you know possibility of a vaccine and possibility of a relapse. So again. Even though it's high, I, I was, uh, think there's a, a much more, uh, again, we don't you like to use the term, but much higher level of risk now than in most cases. Uh, I, I think, yeah. Uh, I mean, that just seems intuitively and common sense-wise. Uh, at least that would be my expectation. And the risk is two-sided. It's, there's upside potential and a downside uh, threat. And that's always which that's the pressure cooker. Mm. But it does seem that the, if you look at the broad U.S. and really world stock markets, you know, it's holding up really well considering not only have we had the COVID, COVID risk, 
Uh, we've had widespread demonstrations that are pretty violent. We've had the dollar, U.S. dollar, starting to crack. Yeah. I, I wondered if that would uh, get the Fed to do anything different now that it's kind of broken its one-year kind of yeah. lows. I, I doubt it. I mean, I think that's – unless something drastic happened. One thing we probably should say that uh, 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 we, we always talk about uh, – uh, gold and silver not being great uh, assets, but this is a case where it could have been. But again, uh, in most cases, it's not. And again, you don't want to put all your eggs in a precious metal basket. So, no. But, but you know, if I was ever tempted to say, well, maybe there's a place for five or ten percent of your portfolio, I'm not there yet. But I don't think at this point, you know, if I was a tactical asset person, I'd probably say, eh, with dollar crumbling, all the spending might be a reasonable hedge, especially when you normally think of your treasury bonds or CDs and things like that as a kind of that your counterbalance to the stock market portion when they're paying essentially, you know, zero to a couple of percent maybe at best. But again, it's, it's sort of a yield chasing situation. If you've done that six months oh, for ago, sure. it, it would have been a better idea than yeah, doing yeah. it now. No, yeah, now you're buying it at one year highs. Yeah. Now maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it isn't. But uh uh, but but we are, we always, almost always, uh, uh, denigrate uh, buying gold. But to, uh, again, well, any asset can uh, can have its day. Well, you're right. It's just again, it's a timing thing, and you know, and you're chasing yield or chasing returns, you're chasing shiny objects. No pun intended when it comes to gold. But uh, I, I was just thinking from an economic standpoint where we are sitting here. I'm not going to do it because, in the long run. Uh, stocks are a pretty decent inflation heads, and so is, so is short-term high-quality fixed income. Uh, you know, if, interest, if inflation ticks up, first of all, wouldn't that be a good sign in some ways, Fred? That means sure. we succeeded in not going into a depression. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, one thing I noticed, and then I'm going to get off this topic completely, but, you know, Sweden has been much more open about COVID. And I, I, I have a chart using my Y-chart subscription, their uh, Sweden coronavirus uh, deaths, I did a chart off their all-time highs are 98% below right. their all-time highs. And just kind of makes you wonder, this yeah. is a very difficult virus to right. try to make sense of. Well, it could be also that uh, in Sweden, you take your medicine right away and then it uh, goes back to a more normal thing. Well, if you have all kinds of restrictions, you spread it out over a longer period of time. And even Bill Gates uh, this morning on CNBC was talking about how uh, – I have a couple notes here. He wrote, you can see the therapeutic benefit faster than the protective benefit, Gates told CNBC. So I think there's a good chance we'll have substantial death rate reduction by the end of the year with the combination of those new tools. Even though these new therapeutics will significant, uh, significantly help the coronavirus – I don't want to say COVID. I always get those two mixed up. It's the same thing. Suffering from severe symptoms, Gates said it will not drive us back too, but a vaccine will be crucial, bringing back a sense of normalcy to society. But we're also, uh, people don't realize now that even though the rate has gone up some places, uh, it's gone up in a place where people are moving around and doing things as opposed to the uh, first six weeks or so when people were pretty much isolated. So we're, uh, we're having uh, maybe a slightly... Uh, a larger instance in, in some places, but at the same time, we're having a much more open kind of economy than we did before. Yeah. And one thing I know that was kind of surprising to me about all of this is that given that we're doing so much more testing, of course, there's going to be more information coming out. 
But when people test positive for COVID and they go back in for a retest, that test, if they test positive yet again a second time, for example, counts as yet a new coronavirus testing positive, and it's added into the totals. So it may be one person testing positive multiple times over, yet the numbers go up and it's the same number of people infected. And that was some surprising and somewhat misleading, and that gets, obviously, the numbers to look artificially high. Um, but it's an interesting thing. I think most scientists would say that's not the appropriate way to, to demonstrate data. It's uh, but stir it all together. It's I'm I'm really pleased that the economy is even doing as well as it is. Uh, looks like there's going to be more support, uh, maybe a trillion. And in kind of that trillion, Fred, uh, seems kind of makes sense. We'll probably drop another trillion, and sure. <laughs> I think it almost seems like they're trying to match off the economic decline value right. you know, of seven or eight hundred billion. Some people project as kind of the next right. kind of down wave. But also, I mean, people have to put it in perspective. This is really huge. Uh, the uh, uh, 2007 to nine was like a trillion dollars a year. Now we're talking about uh, maybe four times that amount. Yeah, easily. Uh, if this gets added in, it will. Uh, and, 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 and on top of the trillion dollar deficit that we were running before the crisis. So we were running below empty before the crisis and then had to uh, do all the extra uh, corrective kind of actions. And Ryan, when you're looking at your plans for clients, kind of, uh, would you say they're all tending to be closer to overfunded than underfunded? By that, I mean, what kind of shape are they in as as a blanket statement? As a blanket statement, surprisingly, very, very few had to make uh, any type of spending reduction or changes in their plans. Uh, The ones that did almost brought it to our attention first. They just, they said, let's let's just take a pause for a moment. But it's an interesting uh, case study for me as a, a generally young advisor in the business, seeing how such a traumatic of global event, um, how it impacted the economy and how yet in our planning world anyway, it had a very minimal impact for the vast majority of our clients just by the, I think the nature of our conservative planning process that we, that we go through. And now here we are in July, almost August, uh, looking at an economy that's uh, by sheer numbers of looking at the S&P or the, NAT, the NASDAQ or other indices, virtually almost unfazed by what we've seen in the past months, bouncing back, and plans reflect that. Yeah, and, and I worry a little bit that, or maybe this is the new future, Fred. Uh, Federal Reserve sort of got it figured out and going, keeping us from having a five- or ten-year super recession slash depression. Um, and we're either training people to almost get used to, oh, it's just, there's a big difference in saying, look, I'm a lifetime stock market owner and I'm in ownership of the great companies of America and the world because of their premium returns and I'm willing to live with the premium fluctuation. There's a difference between that and getting complacent and saying, oh, so just bear markets go down 20 or 30 or, you know, lop off a third or half, but, you know, a year or two years later or months later and this, right. you know, we're kind of back to happy days. Yeah. Um, can, what's your sense, big picture, Fred, is, of all the Fed tinkering? Is, is this useful, uh, a must? Uh, we're just there. It's an experiment. What it? <laughs> well, I, I think it's um, useful, but the question is how do you end it? And that's one of the problems. I think it was clearly uh, – useful during the 2007 to 9 um, financial crisis, uh, even more so probably than now. But uh, 
again, you have to disentangle. You can't go on forever if it were possible to uh, have zero interest rates forever and have uh, uh, $600 a week <laughs> forever. Uh, uh, we would do that, but it's simply not going to happen. So I, ha I have to have some discipline at some point. Now, in some ways, it's been easy for the Fed because they don't have to worry much about inflation. So in most cases, when you, when you talk about uh, vast expansions of the uh, money supply, uh, they have to weigh that against the inflation potential, but for at least uh, 15 or 20 years, it hasn't been much of an issue. So they've had kind of an easy, uh, easy situation to operate in. That may may not always be the case. And there's this modern monetary theory that basically says you can print as many dollars as you want. Yeah. Uh, but if that's the case, why do we tax people? Well, no, it's true that uh, I don't. Very few economists believe in that, but. In a sense, what they're taking is one particular situation and saying it can occur all the time. We're basically following a modern monetary theory right now in a sense of uh, not worrying very much about deficits and having a, a huge expansion of uh, government programs. But the, the difference is that most economists believe that can't uh, continue while the modern monetary people think it can go on forever. Yeah, well, we seem to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and also <laughs> we... we <laughs> Uh, there's very little discipline now in, in terms of uh, uh, the government. Uh, uh, you know, people think about uh, uh, President Trump as uh, being a super conservative, but he's actually uh, super liberal in terms of uh, spending money. Yeah. So you, you have uh, uh, no counterbalance in the House, uh, no counterbalance in the presidency, and only a weak kind of uh, of uh, discipline in, in the Senate. So there's not much there to the old tradition about uh, worrying about balanced budgets really is long gone. There doesn't seem to be any opposition at all, no. uh, Democrats or Republicans. Everybody seems to be. Well, and the uh, and the 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 miserly people are the, the Senate Republicans who only want to spend about half as much as, the, <laughs> as everyone else. And Ryan, um, you covered five twenty nine plans in the News Gazette. Uh, recently, mm -hmm. and I just wanted to cover that area a little bit. I've been getting more and more questions lately. For maybe it's because school's coming up, probably makes sense that I've been getting more and more of those questions. I wouldn't mind if you would just kind of go over in a broad brush how 529s work, um, and maybe we specifically deal with Illinois, kind of sure. how you get started. Um, what is a 529 plan? So a 529 plan is just a tax advantage plan for you to invest uh, money into for the really the sole purpose of funding a college or a secondary education expense. Um, it opened up uh, in this past year to allow funding for non-college uh, expenses, but the state of Illinois specifically excluded that. So if you're in the state of Illinois, still consider using those funds towards college expenses, not private schooling or needs for for kids in uh, pre-college years. But the, the whole intent is to allow parents or anyone who wants to fund somebody's college a method to do so in a, in a tax-sheltered way. So you can place uh, post-tax dollars in. So this would be money that you've already paid tax on. You contribute it to an account, much like you would like a 401k or an IRA. It's the same concept. This is just called a 529. And within the plan, uh, the the money grows, um, and it grows tax-free, and it's able to be withdrawn tax-free as long as you meet the guidelines for using these funds towards the purchase of qualified uh, expenses for college. And that's beyond just school credit. It can be uh, some bit of housing also for computer, for some software. So there's, there's pretty liberal. pretty liberal list, and the intent is to allow 
um, savers a better way, a better way to save for college, which is one of the most expensive things to do. And and as we know as planners, um, you know we look at interest interest rates and inflation. Inflation's roughly two percent, or it's targeted to be so. But a lot of school uh, school school inflation is termed somewhere around five to seven percent. So it's it's quite a big difference. Um, I know some things that they say. Well, maybe even though the inflation for the school side is going up, so is also the amount that students get in aid. So it may offset that, but it's kind of this murky water. Fred, do you think uh, the past inflation rates that are maybe two to three times the just overall economic CPI rate, do you think that's a thing of the past? Probably temporarily. And again, as uh, Ryan said, uh, there's a sticker price and the actual price, and the actual price hasn't gone up quite as much. So, uh, and there are two things, two things that are uh, causing that. First of all, in, in, pub, in public universities, there's a reduction in state support. So part of the reduction in state, state support was made up in tuition revenue. Uh, the other part is there's kind of an escalation of, uh, of uh, some people might say non-essential things. Uh, um, you know, nicer dorms and uh, more recreational facilities and all kinds of things like that that increase the attractiveness of the campus, but also uh, increase the cost. So uh, I, I would think that's probably going to be reduced a little bit. For example, uh, almost everything in, at the University of Illinois in regard to athletics was expanding, and that may go on hold for a while. So, I, you know. I I'm more pessimistic for your optimist. Like I, I think schools, uh, mid-tier state schools are going to go away. I just, right. I think this, the COVID thing, I think is going to speed it up is, is all that's going to happen. I don't think there's enough money in demand for all of them. And I think this has been going that way for right. some time now. And I think it this exacerbates it. Um, so, so to the extent that people are going to go to college, Ryan, then, so, um, how are you dealing with that issue of expectations of cost 18 years from now? So you, you can run some calculations, and you can do this fairly easily uh, with an advisor's help, or you can search online. There's tools and calculators that you can use, uh, and you can plug in an approximate amount that you would need in today's dollars, for example, 18 years out if you have a new child. And the calculator can tell you, <clears throat> tell you based on that and assume the rate of inflation, how much you'd need to save each year. Um, and you can put that, if we're just talking about the state of Illinois, Illinois has two uh, 529 plans one of which is where you can invest your money and your uh, student can then go to any college or university essentially in the United States. So you're not restricted to going somewhere in the state where you open the 529 plan. That's often a misconception, and and I can understand why that is because each state has their own 529 plan uh, in place. But again, the important point is you can go uh, essentially anywhere. Uh, The other alternative option rather than uh, investing money is there's called qualified tuition plans where you can buy uh, essentially credit hours or tuition amounts in like blocks and say I'm buying them in dollars today and in the future when my child or or whoever I'm uh, providing this benefit for will be able to have X number of credits or uh, classes or quarters available to them to then have paid for at the time that they go to college. So there's a couple options. I personally use the the option where you're investing, so I'm not buying tuition credits, but I'm just buying do- I'm just putting dollars in and investing it, much like you do in your own uh, retirement uh, accounts. 
and grandparents can do it. I mean, it just yep. about anybody can do this. Yeah. So it doesn't even have to be your own child or anyone even related to you for that matter. So Dr. Fred Gertz could look upon me and say, you know, I want to fund Ryan's child's college account. And there'd be nothing structurally wrong from doing that. So it allows for anyone to do so. You just you can just set up a beneficiary and uh, a 529 can only have one beneficiary. So that's a little different uh, maybe than like an IRA or 401k where you can have multiple people receive the proceeds upon your passing. Uh, so you would just have one account per individual. Uh, but the the nice thing is, is you can transfer the beneficiary status to someone else. So for example, if you have one child, they don't use all the funds, or maybe they don't choose to go to college or a trade school, uh, they could then change the beneficiary to a different child and they could use those funds. So they're by no means lost. Yeah, I think if I, I'm, I shouldn't uh, say this definitively, but if I decide to go back to school to get a law degree, I probably could yeah, and, and use it for myself. If it's I, never too late, Dr. Yeah. Fred. <laughs> right. So, but the other thing I think you should point out, though, that the uh, the prepaid tuition plan is uh, basically on life support at this point. So, I don't think anyone would uh, recommending that these yeah. days <laughs> would want to think about that right now until they solve some of their problems. I agree. Yeah. Yep. It it is merely something that exists, and it's probably a carryover from past days. Um, well, it was yeah. a, it's the same thing uh, like the <clears throat> the pension situation, uh, writ small. That uh, they assume much higher rates of return mm-hmm. uh, on the investments. They also assume much lower rates of inflation in terms of the tuition. So they guaranteed something where they were squeezed from both sides. The, right. They didn't get the returns they expected. They didn't, and they ended up uh, uh, having to pay for something much more uh, than they, they expected. I never saw how they could actually make it work actuarially because right. I do so much simulation. I'm thinking that's just not going to work. Well, now and the problem now is. Uh, do you want to invest in a, a program uh, right. that uh, is probably not likely? It may be able to, the, the first people in probably will get their money back, but unless the state steps in and bails it out, the, the latecomers may not. Mm-hmm. And the blocking and tackling part, if you want to do it, uh, I'm, we're just going to really talk about the defined contribution side, not mm-hmm. the prepaid tuition. Uh, how difficult, uh, just the blocking and tackling, how, how do people actually put money open and put money into a 529 plan for a child? Uh, in the state of Illinois, it's Illinois Bright Start. So if you just did a, a internet search for Illinois Bright Start, that would bring it up for you. It's incredibly easy. In fact, it was surprisingly easy even when I went through the process and did it. You can do it all online. Uh, for the folks that don't want to do that, they do have paper mail-in options, so you don't have to go out and transact online. Uh, but you can set up an account very quickly, I'd say within about 10 to 15 minutes, which I find to be quite quick and efficient. Uh, You can link a bank account, so um, you can create uh, an immediate transfer from your checking or savings account to deposit funds right into this 529. Um, And it is very simple and secure, which is the important thing anytime I think about what I do online. Um, And then from there, once the money is simply just deposited from a, a checking or savings into the account, it's very simple to just uh, apply whatever investment strategy, and they give you a lot of advice. In Illinois, uh, 529 plan is actually extremely uh, high rank, uh, ranked amongst a lot of the state plans. They have extremely low cost options. Index funds do like Vanguard and some others that uh, are like the low cost leaders in funds. And like we've talked about probably numerous times on the show, costs are one of the, the very few things or very few variables you can actually have control or input over when it comes to investing. So given the fact that you have these low cost options, that means there's less cost leaving the plan and staying invested and reinvested and growing for your child or 
your beneficiary for college. And there are sort of many life cycle plans, too, where uh, you have mostly equity for young children and Mm -hmm. then transfers into more fixed income as they uh, get close to going to college. The glide path. And and what I recommend uh, almost all the time, uh, there are exceptions, is just to use the index funds that are in that glide path or the age-based portfolios, you know, the, the costs are almost zero. Yep. And uh, the only knock that I give um, those glide paths is the, the naming strategy that they've used. They call it like moderate uh, for like the, the investment style, how much stocks you have. Then there's a middle level and then the top tier, which is more heavy stock base. They call it aggressive strategy. And anytime I've worked with a, a client that's opening one of these up, they say, well, this is college money. I don't want to be aggressive with it. Well, when you actually look behind the hood and just remove the term aggressive and you look at the actual stock investment, it's a matter of like 10% different from like the more moderate position. So I think the strategies are very good. Uh, the naming system might scare folks away. But for most, most people, you probably have to have a, a very high bulk of your assets going into the stock side at the front end of funding a 529, assuming you have about you know, 18 or so years out from needing that money. Yeah. The other thing, too, is that this is not uh, all or nothing. If, if you come up a little short, uh, you figure out different ways to pay for Precisely. it. Precisely. If it's over, uh, does better than you expect, you could always cut back your <clears throat> your late contribution. So, uh, again, it's not like you have to get it, hit it perfectly to uh, uh, have your child go to college. Right. And the great thing about the glide path is it's more or less a set it or forget it strategy. So you invest it in the, the plan itself based on your child's age as they get older, automatically adjust downward a little bit less and less stocks the closer they get to uh, needing those funds. So you don't have this as a parent or the person setting up the account, this potential financial responsibility to manage the account and make sure that you're not forgetting to adjust it or change it. It's it's done automatically on this glide path. Right. And also, if, <clears throat> in a more sophisticated way, you probably want to integrate it with your overall portfolio. For example, in, in my case, uh, I put money in there, but there are lots of other funds available to do the same thing. So mm-hmm. there's no particular reason to be uh, to worry a whole lot about those last few years and having the cash available. Right. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's a great program. And uh, we, we, should, we also mentioned, didn't mention the 5% bonus you get in the state right. of Illinois or 4.95. Right. The tax benefit. Yeah, yeah, so you, do, you don't get a federal uh, tax benefit for contributing, but in the state of Illinois, and it's different by state, so not all states will have this, but the state of Illinois does give you a tax benefit for your contributions. I believe it's up to $20,000 contributed a year. So it is a nice incentive for you to reduce your state income tax amount. Yeah. So. And I, I guess I should ask, Dr. Fred, I know you always play the waiting game. You know, when do I make those contributions at the end of the year, or the beginning of the year? Well, I'm on track to uh, make the same mistake. I, I, <laughs> I should have done it back in, in uh, mid-March. I haven't done it yet. So yeah, if, if, only, if there's another downturn, I'll, I'll step in. But I, I hope there's not. If only your crystal ball was, right. was shining brightly. Well, I actually day. knew. I mean, uh, I just didn't do what I know. No, I should have done. <laughs> well, it, you know, it, it, look, that's the, uh, the that's nature. the real human side of this of this uh, dilemma or, you know, the situation. Um, you know, when you're staring down the barrel of, of a potential depression, if the right buttons don't get pushed from a policy standpoint, you know, uh, again, it looks like every past decline on a chart looks like an opportunity, but it, they don't look the same right. when they're unfolding in real time. They didn't to me. Uh, I wouldn't... I, I wouldn't, 
one of David's pals, who's an advisor, you know, he sent me a text one night and said, oh, the bottom's in. Now, this is a guy that's been an advisor for maybe yeah. a couple, two, three years, you know. And I, it, it just, it, it almost bothered me. I guess yeah. it, it almost made me mad. Because at that moment, in that time, I'm thinking, this thing is, you, we yeah. have not, in my yeah. mind, we had not seen the worst of this yeah. thing. I was really quite dark about it. Um, and, but lo and behold, well, it's it's one thing to say the bottom's in. It's another thing to go if you think so. Go out and you know right. leverage your money and borrow money and put it in there. Right. And so if they if people actually if if I saw somebody say that who bet their whole net worth on it, I might yeah. think more about wow maybe they must know yeah. something or have thought about something I right. haven't thought about. But in the midst of those downturns, every bear market you know turns people that swore that oh if we ever get another decline right. I'm going to go all in and all that. It's just because the confirmation bias at yeah. the time. There's also inertia. Uh, uh, my inertia is overcome by the fact that if you don't do it by uh, December 31st, you don't get the, uh, the, the the tax benefit. Yeah, one way or another, <laughs> it's going in. Yeah, and but maybe you could do it. I think, uh, I don't do it this way, but you can do it on a, on a periodic basis, can't mm-hmm. you, where you don't, you don't wait to w- strike one time a year. You could do it every month. or Right, I think that's the maybe the the best example for folks who are just trying to contribute because it it forces the money in on a regular rotation and it keeps you off the side you know keeps you from being on the sidelines and waiting for the quote-unquote perfect time to put the money in because you know chances are with a high probability we'll never find the perfect time the the exact low uh so the best thing is get the money invested if you have it and it's discretionary and to put it in and you do it in small chunks rather than one 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 full contribution right this is just like any other investment decision. It's kind of if it, if it belongs in the stock market, that's really what we're talking about. If we were talking about bonds, we wouldn't be talking about any, you know, waiting for good times or whatever. It's, you know, 75% of the time a year from now, you're going to regret not putting it in on January 1st. I mean, that's just the cold calculated probabilities. Uh, so that's probably the best answer. But then the other good answer is it's also somewhat irrelevant whether you pick the high of the year or the low of the year. Yep whether your child's going to get the education they're going to get. The point is asset allocation and just putting money into it is going to trump most everything else. Yeah, and the earlier you do it, uh, assuming you're you're funding it from a taxable account, uh, the return you would got in the taxable account becomes non-taxable if you put it in early. Yeah, so it's just a, it's a really it's, – it's amazing how Illinois went from – when I was doing this early, you know, I've been doing the show for over 30 years and early, probably the first 10 or 15, I don't remember when they actually changed it to a good plan. You know, I, I never recommended the Illinois plan because it was one of the most costly garbage plans in the country. And I'd probably put it in the top five in the country. Uh, I don't know what the other four <laughs> are, but they used to be, Nevada used to be really yeah. expensive because they were the first ones, I think, to use Vanguard. Now, for, for a while, it was basically... Uh, all the new ones were better than all the old ones because fees were coming down. So, just getting a, a, a new plan actually put you pretty much in the uh, in the running. And now I think that's going to stabilize where there probably aren't too many of the really high high cost plans. So I read that, uh, and this was from uh, oh, I think it's called Calculated Risk Blog. Um, they talked about how Freddie Mac, who basically is one of the big underwriters of mortgages, said that. The single-family serious delinquency rate, delinquency rate for June was 2.48%, up from 0.81% in May. That's a pretty big jump. Mm-hmm. Freddie's uh, rate is up from 0.63% in June of 2019. So, I mean, it's many times higher. The highest serious 
delinquency rate since October of 2013 uh, peaked at 4.2 percent. So we're call it two and a half. Uh, it was in February of 2010, 4.2. Uh, these are mortgage loans that are three monthly payments or more past due on foreclosure. But the article went to point on, and I thought, well, this you might want to say this in the first paragraph. Yeah. You know, it said this is very different from the increase in delinquencies following the housing bubble. Lending standards have been fairly solid over the last decade, and most of these homeowners have equity in their homes, and they will be able to restructure their loans once they are employed. That does seem. Uh, you know, we, no. the last Great Recession is always still in our minds. Right. And, you know, and we were all led to believe it was all housing related. And to some degree, it was. Uh, and so we're all. It's, I still think people have this hangover of thinking. You know, every all the homeowners are underwater these right. days, but it doesn't seem to be the case. I, I don't look for that to be a catalyst. Yeah, and with the with the stimulus or whatever it's called, that should give people the liquidity to manage. But they probably also know that. Uh, eviction uh, foreclosure is very unlikely in this kind of uh, situation so they can uh, probably stretch things out without too much uh, potential damage well it looks like we're getting you know I don't know what to you know I've been doing this for 36 years Fred you've been an economist for more than that I still can't make any sense out of what's going on but maybe it's always that way yeah and, and there, there has to be some hard choices for example the article in the paper today about the uh, the Savoy 16 uh, not reopening, it, it seems to be largely uh, a question of, uh, of the person that owns the building and the, uh, and the new owners of the, of the movie theater to uh, come to some agreement about what the value of the asset is. And clearly the value of the building there is not what it was uh, six months or a year ago, and it's not easy to change it into something else. So somehow they have to come to a reckoning. I, I suspect that it won't be too long before it's reopened on, on some terms. And, you know, when I see people buying gold, uh, bidding the price of gold up, and then to the same extent, the price for inflation-protected securities, this, uh, you know, I guess the world must still be somewhat in the grips of fear and uncertainty, uh, maybe doubt. Yeah, and people are, are, signal are, of and, that. And people are operating on uh, some fixed-cost assumptions that probably have to be given up at some point. The, how much your uh, your business or building used to be worth is not really – what it is today and does make a whole lot of difference today it's, it's painful but you have to accept that and it seems like uh, you know these riots are getting pretty hairy i think i mean i think they're a bigger a bigger deal than than most of us realize um you know i tried to go back in history and try to gain any you know in 1919 we had race riots and then we had the poisoning letters uh, you know yeah. and eventually they got tired of it yeah and they moved in and the stock market went into a bit. I don't know if there's that many parallels of it other than it does appear that there is this overall pattern and I'm drawing it to conclusions economically in Wall Street. Um, they usually start out peaceful. They get <laughs> they get more violent. Uh, eventually, the, the pendulum swings back. Yeah. People get tired of it and they, they squelch it. And it seems like Wall Street is always right. uh, booms a bit or rallies when they eventually figure right. out their this but, I mean, remember also uh, in the 1930s, Iowa farmers used to show up with uh, shotguns at uh, foreclosure sales, and uh, the government didn't intervene, and it went away because the economy changed. So, so we've had these uh, traumatic kind of things in the past, and usually they recede. But again, it's like the economic downturn. You never know when it's going to happen or it's if it's going to happen. And it's hard to put it in perspective, yeah. you know, real time. And that's always the challenge. 
Well, guys, thanks for joining me. I'm Paul Rees on the Money Radio Show. Dr. Fred Gertz and Ryan Repko, who's a certified financial planner at Rudy Wealth Management. Thanks for joining me, guys. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening to On the Money. Join us for the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for Paul Rudy's On the Money. Views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. This is News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana.